Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Well, we ask, uh, or I ask the worship leaders to have uh, at least one Christmas song each Sunday of uh, December, and wow, I was blessed today because they were like all Christmas songs, so... Uh, I don't know about you, but I just love singing those Christmas songs, and I think it's a, an appropriate uh, use of the worship time to extol and, and remember the, the message of Christmas during this season. Um, and uh, that kind of ties into our uh, sermon series for the month of December, which is, What Did Jesus Do? And of course, it's kind of a play on the uh, familiar uh, bracelet thing and tradition that was popular. I don't know, is it still popular? What did Jesus do? Does anyone still wear the bracelets? What would Jesus WWJD, right? Uh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? So that was popular a few decades ago. <laughs> so we're just cutting edge, aren't we? And we were thinking, well, uh, instead of what would Jesus do, well, what did Jesus do? And so this month we're talking about different aspects of what Jesus did, especially concerning uh, the incarnation, what he did when he came uh, uh, as a child and what that meant and how it applies uh, to us. So that's what we're going to be discussing. And uh, today I am uh, actually uh, focusing on this idea of the big, really the big story of the incarnation is God as man, all right? So there's a funny hum. Does anybody else hear that? Sounds like it's coming from the back. Are the family room speakers turned off? You can get, I'm really sensitive to these funny buzz. Thank you. God. To me, that makes all the difference in the world. I love you, William. Thank you. So I was going to press through it and try to ignore it, but I just can't. I'm sorry. So God as man <clears throat> is this idea. The resurrection, right? When Jesus rose from the dead after he was crucified, buried, uh, he said, rose from the dead after three days, you know, is, is a big miracle. But when you think of it, it's not even a miracle if you believe in the incarnation. The incarnation is actually a much, much more significant miracle. And if you really believe in the incarnation, the resurrection is like obvious. Obviously, if Jesus was the embodiment of God Almighty, eternal, uh, death could not hold him down. The resurrection was actually like just walking out the door. (laughs) Okay? And so there were some scriptures, and we're going to look at a couple of Christmas prophecies or prophecies concerning the incarnation. Now, this was written by Isaiah, so this was like a. Well, I, I'm not good with dates, but I think it was a thousand years before Jesus was born or thereabouts. It says, "For unto us a child is born." This is a prophecy recognized even then uh, concerning the coming Messiah. So, a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Oh, so he's going to be a great leader, a governmental leader. His name will be called Wonderful. Oh, a wonderful leader. Counselor. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. Mighty God. Now, if you're reading this, now we see the problem with familiarity is that we read these scriptures and we think, oh, it's just a nice, pretty scripture. But think if you were in the congregation and some prophet got up and said this. 
that a child is going to be born, and he's going to be called Mighty God. You should go, what? How can God be a child? That doesn't make sense, people. Right? When you go to a, when you, a friend has a baby and you go see him in the hospital, oh, what a cute little baby. <gasps> That's God. <laughs> right? They would, go, they would look at you and go, call security. <laughs> Everlasting Father? Everlasting Father? Excuse me, this baby was just born. But the prophecy and scripture, and these are the words of God, and therefore we believe this is divinely inspired, is saying this baby is everlasting. But he was just born. It surprises me how many people, when I talk to them about Christianity, uh, aren't aware, even Christians sometimes aren't aware, that Jesus is eternal, that he didn't come into existence when he was born, that he actually created all things through the word of his power okay he pre-existed you didn't pre-exist i didn't pre-exist but jesus existed for all time he's the everlasting father in the incarnation is when god as son uh that aspect or that personality or that uh, manifestation however you want to phrase it we don't understand it but somehow god came as a child this is unbelievably Uh, mind-bending, and if you understand it, you probably don't realize the depths of it because no one has ever fully understood this. Here's another scripture. (coughs) This wasn't the only one. Actually, a little bit earlier, Isaiah prophesied this. (coughs) He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Okay, that's a miracle. A virgin getting pregnant. Okay. Hmm. Kind of weird. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, the word Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And so his very name, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, God with us, foretold that this child was something completely unique. And what it foretold is that God was coming as man. So this word incarnation, it's one of the words you, you need to understand because it's, it's a critical aspect of Christian theology. It's a very important part of our faith and is really one of the distinguishing aspects of the Christian faith cons- uh, compared to other religions. And it means, uh, in general, this is actually just taken right out of a dictionary, the embodiment of a deity or spirit in some earthly form, if it's in the capitalized version, it, it means the union of divinity with humanity in Jesus Christ. I love how this dictionary just gets it right and gets it really succinct. <laughs> okay, theologians, you know, have to put it, they put it in a book, it's about this thick. <laughs> the dictionary just, just slams it. It's the union of divinity with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow, somehow the divine and the human became unified in a person. Incarnate literally means in the flesh. And this is a big, big aspect of the God we worship. God is uh, an incarnational God, okay? 
And uh, we're going to see uh, just just touch on a few aspects where we see this even in the old covenant, because this is part of God's character. This is part of God's nature. This is part of the way God always has been, is, and always will be. God is incarnational. So a couple of things: the Spirit says right at the beginning hovered over the earth, and that can be translated it brood. The Spirit brooded or moved, but I really like the idea that the Spirit relaxed. You see that? We don't hear that preached much. But it was like the Holy Spirit was just chilling on the earth. Okay, chilling. He was relaxing. He was just resting uh, on the surface of the earth. In creation, God was at ease. Huh. God wasn't distant. God didn't create everything and then let it go, spin off on its own. God was actually actively present in creation. We see him breathing life into Adam's nostrils. Okay? And the image there is, again, not something distant, not something God on a throne far away you know, declaring, Come alive, Adam! No, but he, he, he formed man out of the dust of the ground. Men say, it, it, the picture, the image that we have is that God was intimately involved in shaping this, this person. And then he put his face right up to the face of Adam and breathed the breath of life into him. Okay, this is God in creation, incarnation. Get it? All right, big part of what God is. We, we read of him walking through... Uh, the garden that says Adam and Eve heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. All right, <clears throat> so what did that sound like? Right. Let's listen. Do you hear God walking? I just hear another hum. <laughs> we can't get rid of that hum. That's a, that, what, that hum, to get rid of that costs a lot more money. <laughs> So the, the, but the truth here is that, hey, this was just a regular thing. God would walk through the garden, and they heard him. And we don't know what, what literally that meant. It could be translated, they heard his voice, or they, they heard him, they heard his presence. Uh, but the image is that he was walking and they could hear him. And so God was present in a way that, they could, that he was making noise and that they recognized him and they knew who he was by the sound of his footsteps or his movement. That means God was very present. So I don't know how you imagine or, or think of God, but I'm challenging you. The Scripture tells us of a God that is actively present, a God that you can hear, a God that you can feel his breath. All right? God is present in his creation. We see him talking to Abraham, having a meal with Abraham at one point, speaking to Moses in many, many different ways, through a burning bush and a pillar of fire, a cloud, all these different ways, speaking to the prophets and, and just a, a multitude of different ways and interacting with all of the characters throughout the Old Testament that God came down and was active in his creation. You know, the Bible talks about in certain places that, that whenever a deer gives birth, a goat or a deer, 
uh, and this, those are just r- random references, but really anywhere where there's life that comes to being, it says that God is there. He, he speaks it into being. Another place it says uh, that when lightning strikes, it's God who, who commands it to happen, that he's active, right? Jesus said when a bird, just a, a, a sparrow falls to the ground, the Father is aware of it, right? That means God is active in every aspect of his creation. He's, never, he's not an absentee father. He's a very present. It doesn't mean that everything that happens is, is according to his, his, his will, all right? So there's a difference there because we, we live in a fallen world. And God said, you know, if you sin, it's going to cause uh, death and lead to painful consequences. But even in that world, he is present, all right? God is present everywhere, always for you, for me. That's a tremendous truth. All right, and it's an important aspect of our faith, and that Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of this idea of an incarnational God. Let's just talk about how Jesus fulfills this. Uh, Paul, in describing this truth to the church in, uh, in Colossae, says that for in him, or in Jesus Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily all right (laughs) this is such it's 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 almost ridiculous that the bible is as influential as it is because it makes these incredibly irrational statements okay and the people that 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 try to criticize the bible i'm like they don't even know the right verses to, to pick on and so when I were talking to him, I was like, no, that, that's an easy one. You should just, you know, I don't, I don't give them the hard ones. <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous, okay? How do you fit God in a human body? The fullness, the completeness, every aspect of the Godhead. The Godhead, the, the fullness of God, the God who existed time infinite before all of creation, and it decided one day, you know, let's, let's make a universe. Boom! And there's all the universe that, that scientists even now are just trying to build better uh, telescopes and look further in and, like, how far does it go? And as far as we can tell, it goes on forever, but they can't quite imagine that, so they, they keep saying, no, it can't be, you know, infinite. There must be an end to it somewhere, but we keep seeing more and more and more and more. So the God who spoke that into being popped inside of a body. And it says bodily, in his body, okay? Not just in theory, but in his flesh, in his, within his skin and bones. See, size, width, height, length, weight, speed, Time, all of those terms, all of those concepts are measurements of limits, right? If I'm, if I'm 5'10", almost, <coughs> and my son, uh, that's my limit, like I can stretch, but only so far. <laughs> you know what, at this point, I'm not getting any taller. <laughs> my son, William, he's six foot and growing, <laughs> all right? I'm like, 
I'm looking up. He's going to get taller. But he's going to reach his limit. All right? I have other limits. I have exceeded his limit in other ways. <laughs> but you just wait, William. <laughs> you may be skinny now. I was never your, I was born heavier than you are now. So, <laughs> Okay, get the idea. Now, all of those are limits, but God is limitless. So you know what? Even though it bends our brain, those words don't apply to God. They just don't apply to God. All right? He is infinitely bigger than the biggest object, and he's equally present in the most infinitely small space. How can that be? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, if you have a God that you understand, you better start looking for a bigger God. All right? Because if you have a God that you understand, that probably means you're your own God. Get it? All right? I don't understand God. I believe him because he's shown himself to me. So what, what, what did Jesus do? That's our, our message. What, what, so what did Jesus do? He fit all of God into his body. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And it requires that we change how we think about God. That God's not distant, that God's not off, that he's not disconnected, but he's very present and he's present bodily. He's willing to get himself into the mix, into the mud, into the mess of human life. And he did it and he still does it. It's his nature, it's his character, and he's in our mess just like he was in the person of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He demonstrated that the fullness of God could fit in the body. And guess what? Now it's our turn. There's another great verse in Colossians. Paul continuing this, this discussion about the incarnation and, and what Jesus accomplished when he came as a man. It says, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him. It's interesting that this word fullness and this word complete, not by accident, is, is, is a variation of the very same word. It's a, a different form of the same Greek word. There's a, there's a direct link between Christ's fullness and our completeness. And Paul's trying to communicate this. And just to, to get the idea across, we're going to read it from a few other trans, translations. says, so you are complete through you your union with Christ, or you have been given fullness in Christ. So the fullness of God had dwelt in Christ, and then you have been given that same fullness in Christ. Okay? Even you have been filled with Him. So it's like God, Jesus was full of God, and you're filled with Him. All right? See the connection? The message puts it this way. When you come to him, that fullness, that fullness of Jesus' fullness of the Godhead, comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. So the fullness that was available to God through Christ becomes available to who? Me. Oh, wow. What did Jesus do? Jesus shared his fullness with us. Uh, so 
So not only should we be challenged to change our conception or preconception or understanding of God, but this now requires a, a really a, a, a complete redefining, if you will, for most people, about your view of your body. And unfortunately, um, the church has, for, for many centuries, emphasized uh, in excess, I think, the idea of the fallenness of humanity to the point where we actually embrace the idea that flesh in and of itself was evil. You know, and that's actually a heresy, all right? Uh, and, and he developed all the way to the point where like Christian science, the, the cult of the Christian science, um, you know, they don't even believe the natural world exists because they think it's, it's evil, it's horrible, you know, and that a God could never touch what is unclean. And I'm like, no, that's the whole point. And it's through God's indwelling, he makes what is unclean clean. Now listen here. This changes how you have to think about your body. Whose body? Whose body? No. Whose body? Your body. Look at your body. Take a peek. Uh! <laughs> right? <laughs> well, maybe not all of you, but I look in the mirror, I go, God. <laughs> but the truth is, it's like God's in there. Listen. God wants to fill your body. God filled the body of Jesus Christ. That means your body is not evil, it's not wicked, it's not horrible, it's not bad. In fact, the Bible talks about it as God's temple. His dwelling place. And the reason we don't defile our bodies is because our bodies are sacred. You begin to treat your body differently if you really embrace that it is the sacred vessel of Almighty God. You don't say, I hate my body, if you acknowledge that your body is God's temple. Because you would never say, I hate God's temple. Right? You don't mistreat, abuse your body if you realize the fullness of what it means that your body was created as a receptacle of the fullness of God that God wants to dwell in you and Jesus is the ultimate example of it so you have to change how you think about your body and quit listening to the enemy when the enemy in your flesh and the world says your body is broken your body isn't up to par your body is ugly your body is useless your body is bad your body is you know wicked all of that stuff is a lie your body is holy. Your body is sacred. Your body is beautiful. Your body is equipped to dwell, to be a, a, a vessel of perfection, of holiness, of grace, of goodness. How did Jesus fit God in his body? <clears throat> Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit 
return from the, just after his baptism. It says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and was led by the Holy Spirit. And we see this throughout his entire life. In another place, Jesus said uh, the Spirit, when he, when he stood up in front of the, uh, um, uh, the congregation, he read the scripture from Isaiah. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and, uh, oh shoot, I looked up the word upon and it, it doesn't mean it means uh, uh, soup like superimposed or it, 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 yeah imprinted. It means like like pressed into upon me. For he has anointed me uh, to bring. Anointed means poured over or rubbed into uh, to bring good news. And so Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He lived filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's one way that he demonstrates how a human can live and walk filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is then, how can I, how can we fit God in our body? Well, guess what? Jesus commanded his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, the same thing that happened to me is going to happen to you. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read about the experience where the disciples were in a room and all of a sudden something happens. And uh, another place he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And one of the gospels says this, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit that's going to dwell within us. Right? And so we become vessels of that same person of God. What did Jesus do? He filled. He not only gave us an example of a person filled with the Holy Spirit, but he filled his disciples with the Holy Spirit. Are you a disciple of Jesus? All right, then you are in line if you haven't already received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> All right, uh, in Romans uh, chapter 8, Paul is explaining this idea. He says, uh, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is all part of the Christmas story. This is what Jesus accomplished. He made this possible, that the Spirit of God, the fullness of God, could fit inside your body. And he even goes on and says, now if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of God, he's not, even Christ, he's not even his. In other words, this is the essential aspect of being a Christian. This is not extra credit. This is something that every believer needs to have and needs to realize we have, if you're a confessing believer, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I love this verse because it combines the reality that we do live in a body that still battles with sickness and death. But in us is the spirit who is life and who, who exists to give us life, all right? And so this promise of life conquering our mortality does refer ultimately to our resurrection when Christ returns and we're given a new body that will never die, all right? How many are looking forward to that? 
Come on. But you know what? It is true now. It applies now. This is not, the Bible's not, oh, this is going to happen someday, so until then I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be broken. No. The Spirit who dwells in me. If I'm a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in there. And it's the same Holy Spirit that took Jesus' dead body and brought it back to life. Wow! Holy Spirit's in you. Holy Spirit's in me. When you look at yourself in the mirror, go, oh God, Holy Spirit's in there. God's in there. I want that life. <laughs> right? says he could give life to your mortal bodies. What did Jesus do? He gave life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Where do you need life? In your body. Mentally, I could use some help. Come on. <clears throat> right? <laughs> I can't remember anything anymore. Physically, oh, yeah. Come on, I need healing. I could list a whole bunch of ways. Emotionally, I struggle with stuff. We struggle with stuff. We have hurts. We have pain. I need that. I need life where I have emotional death or disease. Relationally, spiritually, the aspect of our being that connects with God, I need life there. I need life. Right? And I might have it for a moment, but then stuff happens and it drains away. I need life. Where do I go to get it? The Holy Spirit that's right in me. He's never left me. he never leave me. That's the message of Christmas. Can you imagine living completely filled like Jesus? Completely filled. Can you imagine? 24-7, 365, every day, every moment, full of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. See, the truth is the Holy Spirit's in you fully. You need to believe it. And you need to act on it. Right? Does that make sense? <clears throat> Where would sickness or depression or shame or sin or doubt fit in you if you were filled with the fullness of God? If you were experientially, if you really embrace this, right? If all of that's in you and filling you, there's no space to cram in this other junk that's not from God. And so if you find that stuff in you, you just need to say, Holy Spirit, you need to fill me more. You know, in the New Testament and Acts, they kept getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Numerous times. They got filled in, uh, in, in Pentecost, but then it later it says, and they got filled again. And, they, and, and the word actually means to, to be continually filled. It's like it's a hose that, that is running water, so it never flows, uh, never runs out because it's always flowing over. And that's what we need. And if we have, if we have that, all that other stuff won't uh, be able to get in. Jesus is our example. The Holy Spirit is our indwelling help, and the Father is our source. So I want to read this this scripture <coughs> because Paul takes all of these ideas that I've been saying. And kind of wraps them up into one little statement, just a few verses. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to stand, and we're going to say it together in unison as a declaration of what we believe. Paul writes, and God speaks through his word in Ephesians chapter 3. It says, For this reason, 
I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Right? Paul's prayer is that we would be strengthened by God's Spirit inside of us. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Wow, that Jesus would live in us. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. That we could get our brain around this impossible truth. That we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, passes, uh, goes beyond understanding. The love of Christ goes beyond what we can grasp with our brain, but it's true. That you may be filled with all the fullness, ah, same words that describe Jesus, of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Okay, let's stand up. And I change the words you to me or I. All right? And we're going to read through this. And I want you to read it in faith. And you read it as a confession of what you believe to be true Because in order to access the truths of God, you have to believe them. You have to step into them, and you have to start living by them. And it begins by confessing with your mouth in uh, agreement to what God says. And so let's read this together. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant me according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think, according to the power that works in me, to Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you that you've made it possible. You've demonstrated it through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've poured out your Holy Spirit. I pray that if anyone in this room uh, was not a believer after praying that prayer that they just prayed, that, Lord, that they now see themselves as a born-again follower of Christ Jesus, that they've accepted you as Lord and Savior. If there's anyone lacking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit. Fill each of us bodily full with your spirit, Father, that we could live this Christmas season and every day of the year filled to the fullness with all that you are, 
all that you are in us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.